everybody. I'm Louise, for those of you who haven't met. Uh, on our way here, I was saying to Alan, it's been over a year since I was physically here in Bosch PM because of lockdown and all kinds of reasons. And so some of you I've never met before, so lovely to meet you. And those of you um, dialing in online, hi. Um, good to, to have you with us tonight. Um, you've met Alan. Uh, just to complete the family picture, we have two kids, and they are now 14 and 12 which is very grown up. A number of people in this community have babysat for us before. And now we don't need babysitters. We're at this beautiful stage where they're old enough and opinionated enough to tell us what to do, um, which is very interesting. We're learning a lot. Um, but that's Anna, who's our oldest. She's in grade eight at Pinelands High. And then Ryan, who is our youngest, but is now 12. And new to the family, we have a dog. So we have a five-month puppy. We are learning lots. Okay, there's a whole other thing that happens there. So it's so good to be here tonight. It's so good to be with you guys. And um, I am speaking in week three of our series, which we are calling We Are Home. Hopefully you've got that. And I'm an ex-English teacher. And so I love that in our title, there's this double meaning. Okay, so we are home. And that's a noun sense that we are this place, this home, which is a place of belonging. It's a place of safety. It's a place of acceptance. But we also are home in the verb sense that we get to create that space and be part of being that home for each other. And so I love that there's a double meaning in there. And so in this series, we're looking at what does it mean to be this home? What does it mean to be a family together? Because the local church isn't an organization. It isn't a club where we just come along with a group of like-minded people no, it's much deeper than that. We call to these richer relationships because we're called to be in a family. And so back in week one, Ryan preached and he unpacked what does it mean for us to be an expression of God's presence, to be this home where God, God's presence is and that this place could be a place of security and belonging and purpose and meaning and, a, and hospitality. And then last week, Ian preached, and he took us to that beautiful passage in Timothy, where Paul's writing to Timothy, and he writes this, although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing you these instructions so that if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household. And we explored what that concept of household meant. And it's less of that kind of westernized family, nuclear unit, us for no more, no, this household is bigger and more inclusive, and it embraces. It's more, think of a tribe. It's that kind of a concept. And so today I'm going to take that a little bit further and, and look at how we should conduct ourselves in this family and what does God's word have to, tell, have to teach us about what these relationships should look like practically. And so if we're in this We Are Home series, I've entitled my talk, We Are Family. Because the Bible's got a lot to say about this family metaphor. This family theme runs throughout the pages of the Bible. And in the, the New Testament alone, there these, there's over 100 verses where it's written to the brothers and sisters in Christ. That family image, that family relationship. I like the sibling imagery. I think it's super helpful. It's a healthy relationship. It's affectionate those of you who are privileged enough to have brothers and sisters in the biological sense, you know what that's like. You love them. You've got their back. And sometimes they irritate you, but there's a tenderness and there's an affection there. And that's a beautiful description of what this kind of family relationship is like. Uh, Paul Tripp describes it like this. Our spiritual life is meant to be a group project. 
we forget that we have not only been blessed to be recipients of God's grace, but we have been called to be tools of that grace in the lives of others. And so if you're a guest here today, I don't know if you've come to Common Ground before, but you're going to get such good insight into the kind of community that God is calling us to be. And I say up front that we don't get it right all the time, but that's what we're going to explore today. Because when you, when you come to Christ, you also come to a family. You get added into a community of people. And so this, tonight's message will be helpful for you to understand, okay, well, what does that mean and what should it look like? And um, just as I close this introductory framing, I do want to say I recognize it's quite a tricky time to be preaching a message like this, maybe even to be hearing it, because we have been in a season where we've had to be distant from each other, and we've had to be in lockdown and isolate, and we know all the reasons for that. But that's made it harder to do some of the things I'm going to describe today. And I know that many people still have to be careful, and I know a number of people who are joining us online, maybe they're geographically not close, maybe they're students who've had to kind of move home while studies are online, maybe you're needing to isolate for health reasons, and so almost as I talk tonight, you might, I might be describing some of the things that you really are longing for. You're longing for family. You're longing to be together. And I know that it's difficult. But we still want to try and teach this so we know what we're aiming for. We know what the goal is. We know what the standard is that God has set for us. And so I'm trusting for all of us, whether we're here in person, whether we're dialing in online, that there's going to be something for each of us, that prophetic word that came, that something that I say is going to speak your language, and it's going to be what God wants to say to you specifically. So we're going to pray quickly, and then we're going to open up God's word. Yeah, Lord, we invite you as we open up your scripture, we invite you to speak. We love that your scripture is alive, that although it was written thousands of years ago, by your spirit, you come and breathe new life into it as we open it up now. And as you speak to us, we invite your Holy Spirit to come and shape us, to come and mold us. We don't want to sit under your word passively. We want to um, be doers of the word. And so we invite you to speak and to shape, to change our hearts, to change our minds, maybe to change some practical things in the way we do life so that we can obey and we can follow and we can be more like you. Thank you, Father. Amen. So before Sai comes up to read, I just want to give a bit of context to the passage that we are going to be reading from tonight. We're going to be reading from Paul's letter to the Romans. And um, Paul, we're going to be picking it up in Romans 12, okay, which is kind of the fourth part of the letter. Romans is an amazing book. It's one of the most influential books that's been written. And one thing to remember when we read this letter is that Paul writes these letters to groups of people. So it's similar to here tonight. You know, often we can read them and we read them in our devotional time and so it becomes quite a personal thing, but Paul meant for it to be read and understood as a group of people. That's who he was addressing. And he wrote this letter from Corinth. If you have a look at the map, you'll see where he's writing it from. He's writing to the church that's already been established in Rome and it's almost to introduce himself because he's hoping to come and visit the church on his way to Spain. And so he writes them this amazing letter. And for the first 11 chapters, what he does in the letter is to tell them all about who Christ is and what Christ has done. And then this 12th chapter, it's almost like he pivots into like, now that you know all of this, what does that mean for how you live and how you are going to live out Christian love? It's not some airy fairy sentiment. No, there's some really practical things that you get to do. And so 
if you use kind of the household family image, it's like the spiritual father now sharing with the rest of the family what life in the family should look like. And that's kind of the context. So, Sa, you want to come up and read for us from Romans 12. This is Romans 12, verses 3 to 16. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Thank you. Okay, so we're going to draw out five things from this passage. And the first thing we're going to draw out is that we are children first. How does this family work? We are children first. Because in this family, we are all the children and God is the Father. And so last week, Ian reminded us how we get to kind of be in this family, that when we get converted to Christ, when we come to Christ, we acknowledge who he is, we acknowledge what he's done, that means we get adopted into this family. We get adopted into a community. We're in Christ, but we're in family, and that's not because of anything we've done. And so a lot of the songs we were singing tonight were declaring what Christ has done. And that's what we acknowledge, that gets us into the family. And so we're all the same. We have the same father, we've been given the same spirit. We're all children. In the first week, the passage that Ryan preached from was Ephesians 2, and I love how Ephesians puts it. It says, remember, at that time, you were separate from Christ. You were without hope, without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For through him, we have access to the Father by one spirit. And consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. And so if you're here today and you're looking in and you're thinking, well, how do I get to be part of this family? It's not like you have to go through a rite of passage. There isn't an orientation program. There isn't an initiation process No, all you have to do is respond to the invitation from Christ. You respond to who he is. You respond to what he has done. And that is what qualifies us to be in this family. 
He is the one who brings us near. He is the one who gives us access to the Father, makes us right with the Father. And so that means that none of us, on our, in our own right, in our own actions, none of us can qualify. And why that's such an important starting point is that it impacts the attitude that I have about myself and it impacts the attitude that I have about the other people in this family. And Paul picks up on this a few times in this passage. And this time I want to read it from the New Living Translation because it just puts it in a slightly different way. He says, don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Love each other with genuine affection. Take delight in honoring each other. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. And so in these verses, Paul is reminding the Roman believers about how they should treat each other. What is the attitude that they should have? And so we see here he's calling them to humility. He says, don't think you're better than everybody else. And he's calling them to this honoring of each other. He's calling them to this unity, this harmony together. Because we're all equal. We're all equally valuable and we're all equally valued. Because we are who we are and we're saved into this family by God's grace. And so I start there because that fundamental truth shapes how I see myself and how I see other people. And so if I am a child of God, if I'm loved and I'm accepted and I'm adopted into this family, that, that means I belong here and I'm valuable and I have a role to play and I have a contribution to make. But it also means that every other person has that same value. They also belong here. They're also important. They also have a role to play and a contribution to make. So we are equal in value and worth. And so whether you are male or female, whether you are young or old, whether you are single, whether you are married, whether you are single again, whether you are born in Cape Town or you come from somewhere else, whether you are rich or poor, whether you've been part of this community for 10 years or you've been here for 10 weeks, you are as valued because you are a child in the family. You're a child of God. And I want to land each point with some application questions. So I want to ask you, how do you see yourself? Do I see myself as valued and valuable? And how do I see other people? And how do I treat others in this family? And one of the little ordered questions to ask is, well, when new people are added to the family, how warm and welcoming am I? Do I, do I make it easy for people who are newer, newer in this family to feel welcomed in, to feel included, because I see their value and I see their worth. Okay, the second point is every family member has a part to play. Every family member has a part to play. And we're going to look again at the verses 4 to 8. And in this section of Scripture, what Paul is doing here is using another metaphor, another metaphor of the family or Christian community, and that is the metaphor of the body. And it's a beautiful image. It's a, a very powerful metaphor. Because what he's doing is he's describing this collection of body parts, okay, very different entities that are brought together for a common purpose and a common goal. And so there's diversity and there's unity. Diversity because every part has a very different function to fulfill. But unity because they're working together. They're cooperating together so that the work of Christ gets done. And so every Christ follower, every family member 
has been given a gift to use. It's not from you. No, God gives it to you. The Spirit brings it out in your life. And just as no part of the human body can do everything, so no one Christ follower has got all the gifts. And so even the most mature believer, even the most gifted leader, doesn't have all the gifts. They have gaps. And that means that every part of the body is needed. For the body to be the body, we are all needed. And we all need to use our gifts. And we all need to express what the gifts are. Because together we are the body. And so if you have a look around, this is the body that you've been placed in. And every person is here because they have a gift that is to be, to be used. And it's needed. This body can't function without your contribution. And as we work together in this place that God has put us in, into this part of Cape Town, as we work together So we express something of God's presence to each other and to a watching world. We get to be this body together. And Paul makes it clear that we're here to, we get given the gift, but it's not for us personally. There's got to be this outward flow to our gifts that they're given to us so that we can serve God and we can serve other people. And so the application questions here are pretty obvious. But firstly, do you know what your spiritual gifts are? Because that's the first step, to actually identify them and know what they are. And how do you know what they are? Well, the great thing is that it's not a great mystery because the gifts show up. They manifest themselves. And as the Spirit works, there is the gift. (laughs) So I've got a list up. These are kind of spiritual gifts that we see in Scripture. We've kind of grouped them into natural, motivational gifts, supernatural, miraculous gifts. And have a read. Those are the gifts we see. Hopefully, they're familiar. And maybe... Hopefully, you can identify your top two or three. But it's a beautiful journey of discovery to figure out how has God gifted me and what, is, what has he put in me that I get to use. And if, if you have never figured that out, then I encourage you to do the work. So what is it going to look like for you? Is it going to be to find a course to do or a reading plan to do? Is it going to be to get into scripture on your own in a life group to figure out, to explore To ask other people around you. Community is a great way to figure out what your gifts are because other people can help you identify. So when when you do that, I feel like the Spirit's at work. You know, you've got the gift of prophecy. Or the way that you serve, it's a beautiful expression of community. And so ask people. Ask your life group leader. Ask the people around you. And then secondly, if you know what your gifts are, are you currently... Are you actively using those gifts in this family? And again, I know the timing of the season. You know, many of our usual serving opportunities have been shut down. A lot of things haven't happened, but you've still been gifted to serve. And so maybe maybe there's been a little bit of uh, laziness, complacency. Oh, I know I've got this gift, but I haven't actually used it. And maybe it's been lying dormant for a while. Maybe this is a prompt to just reactivate some of those things that God has gifted you in because there's meant to be that outward flow to the gifts God gives you. Right, let's move on to the third point. Family is beautiful. <laughs> and I want to look again at from verse 9 because this is a beautiful passage that kind of unpacks it. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor. Serve the Lord. Be joyful. Be patient. 
be faithful in prayer, share with the Lord's people, practice hospitality, bless people, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, live in harmony, don't be proud, don't be conceited. I mean, there's lots in there. And it's a beautiful description of what the family could look like, what the family should look like. And I'm not going to try and unpack it all, don't worry. I just want to touch on a couple of things that I feel are are kind of fresh challenges for us in this season. So verse 9, it says, love must be sincere. Sincere, authentic, genuine. You know, we call to love each other. That's one of the, the dominant family traits in this family, is that we love each other. And the local church is a classroom where we learn how to get along with people. In a sense, this is the lab where we get to practice loving people. And so that's why it's full of people, people who are like you, people who are different to you, people that you get along with very easily, and maybe some people that you find a little bit more irritating or annoying or demanding, just a little bit awkward. They're so different to you, and you like struggle to have a conversation with them even. But this is where we get to learn how to love and then model that love and that honor and that affirmation and that appreciation of each other. Because Jesus said, no, love is going to be the main way that people know that you are my disciples. Love is how we demonstrate that we're a family. But he also tells us to be devoted to one another in love. Devotion. That, that's commitment. That takes time. It's a slow and steady process. It's not something that happens overnight. And so if you think about relationships, there's lots that kind of, that happens on the go. It's regular life. You're just sharing normal life together. It doesn't seem very, you know, glamorous. It's quite ordinary. But what you're doing in those moments is you're building that relational bridge and you're establishing those connections of trust and friendship so that when the moment comes, which is often unanticipated, so maybe there's a health diagnosis for you or someone in your family, maybe there's a death, maybe um, there's a loss of employment, a relational disappointment of some kind, now you've built that bridge And you can lean on the bridge for the support and the help that you need in the time of crisis. But that takes time. And so don't give up too soon. (laughs) And keep pressing in and be in for the long haul. And when your life group irritates you, carry on with them. Because they are there for you. And you're building those relational bridges, even if they irritate you so much. So I want us to apply this using the grid of the different roles in the family. Because we're brothers and sisters... We're children first, so this is beautiful brother and sister relationship. And I want to ask you, how good are you at knowing, loving, serving, and investing in your younger brothers and sisters? Because we've all got younger brothers and sisters, younger in age or younger in the faith. And are you building with brothers and sisters in the appropriate ways? Because sometimes we can do this weird thing where we avoid the opposite sex, because we freaked out about them, or we're not sure about them, or maybe it's just too complicated. But remember the imagery we're given of siblings, where I get to be your sister. doesn't need to be weird. Okay, I get to be your brother, and I'm going to love you like a brother. And there's that affection, and there's that tenderness, and it's loving, and it's beautiful. So who are your younger brothers and sisters? And I do want to take the gap to acknowledge that in this congregation particularly, I have been amazed 
by the number of people who love and serve the younger brothers and sisters, particularly through our next-gen ministries. And so over the years, we've seen um, students and teenagers and young adults give their time and their energy, and they're, they're totally committed to serving on a Sunday maybe, um, maybe at a holiday club or at a camp, and just noticing, loving, serving younger brothers and sisters. And my kids have personally benefited from that, so I am a recipient of that grace. But I want to commend this congregation for that, because I know that you probably have more time and more energy than a lot of people, but the way that you've loved and served younger brothers and sisters is phenomenal. So thank you for that. But who are your younger brothers and sisters? And who are your older brothers and sisters? One of the things we love about this kind of Bosch journey is that we are expressing more and more that we're a multi-generational church. So there are going to be older people. There are going to be younger people around. And I want to encourage you to courageously, creatively extend yourself over the next while to really kind of cross some of those um, perceived barriers often and to extend your relational reach and your relational range. And I do want to say, obviously, it's natural. uh, It is natural that it would be easy to connect with people who are like you. So it is easy to connect with people who are the same age or who are in the same life season as you because they get you and they understand what life is all about. That's a beautiful expression of community. I'm not saying let's not do that, but I am saying let's also look for how we can step out and how we can just be a little bit more inclusive. And so next Sunday is the family picnic. Now, you might hate picnics, okay, but I'm going to encourage you to come to the picnic And not just sit with the people you know, but how about trying to meet three new people who are in a completely different age bracket to you and just go and say hello. You could even do that on a Sunday. Like after the meeting finishes, it's so easy to gravitate towards the people that you know. But go and meet someone new and just say hi and start a conversation. Next Saturday, did we mention it? We're doing this packing event where we are packing um, fire and flood relief packs. So sign up for that event and then deliberately go and work next to someone that you've never met before. And as you're working, you kind of get to know them and who they are and how did they come to common ground, etc. There's, there's a way to do that. If you're in a life group, how about deliberately connecting with another life group that's in a different age bracket to you? Saying, let's do a social, let's do something together so we can kind of cross the generational lines. And my challenge is that Tracy and I are watching that weather forecast for Sunday, and it's not looking good. So if we have to cancel that picnic, are you going to go, oh, thank goodness, now I'm going to go home and just chill? Or are you going to courageously and creatively find another way to do something family-ish and community-ish on Sunday where you can include someone? Just leave it out there with you. Leave it up to you. Melons, we want to invite. Okay. And then finally, the third layer that I'd love us to think about is spiritual mothers and fathers. Who are your spiritual mothers and fathers? Spiritual mothers and fathers, those who are, who are older than you, in, in faith, in age, in experience, in wisdom. Proverbs puts it so beautifully in Proverbs twenty twenty nine. It says, the glory of the young is their strength, but the gray hair of experience is the splendor of the old. And I love that, the gray hair of experience Alan and I, we're getting there. Hey, my love. (laughs) The gray hair of experience is coming, but I'm so grateful that there are others 
ahead of us, and we get to rely on their wisdom and their perspective and their counsel and their maturity, because often they're just more mature than us. And one of the things I love about this Bosch community is the depth of the bench. There's a lot of wisdom, and there's a lot of experience and maturity that have been given to this family, and we are spoiled for mothers and fathers. I have been personally spoiled, mothers and fathers in the faith over me who have invested in me, who have prayed for me, who I know have like got my back, and they're interested in my growth and development. It's a beautiful thing when you see it, when you see it in action. And if you're an older person here tonight, and there might be a few of you, I just want to say that in the family, you never retire. <laughs> There's always a role, and we need mothers and fathers. And most of you are in this younger category, and I want to encourage you to move towards and to invite the perspective of older mothers and fathers in the house. You don't, you're not looking for their permission, but you would be crazy not to seek their perspective, to say, I'm thinking about this. Here's a job decision I have to make. We're thinking about relocating. Here's a person that I've just met that I think might be the one. Won't, can we come for dinner? Can you get a read? What would you say? Invite their perspective. And to those of you who are single, maybe those of you who are not biological parents, I want to say that this spiritual mothering and fathering, it's not second to, it's not less than biological mothering and fathering. You know, God calls us, he says, I want you to go forth, I want you to make disciples. And that is how I'm spiritually reproducing the image of God in the world, as I make these disciples. And so single people and people who aren't biological parents, you still get to do that. And it's as vital a role. And so you have a contribution to play. So on a practical level, I'd love you today, this week sometime, maybe write down the names Who are your younger brothers and sisters? Who are your older brothers and sisters? Who are your mothers and fathers in the faith? And are there gaps in your family tree? Because there might be. And then how could you intentionally look to fill some of those gaps and pray about it and ask God to move into work? And maybe there's some honoring or some appreciation or um, some expression of connection or serving that, that you need to do. Okay, my fourth point. It's very brief, but it must be said because family is beautiful, number three, but family is messy. Yo, it's messy. There's no such thing as a perfect family, and there's certainly no such thing as a perfect church. And they always say that if you find a perfect church, don't join it because then you will make it imperfect because you are imperfect. And that's the truth, that family is messy because family is full of people. And as people, we are flawed, and we make mistakes, and we let each other down, and we disappoint each other. We are people. And so look around at this very ordinary bunch of imperfect people. There's a good chance that someone in this room has hurt you, offended you, let you down. Maybe you're sitting here with some kind of unmet expectations, how you thought this church was going to be, how you thought this family was going to behave. Maybe you're reflecting on a past experience. This church, a previous church, a previous person, a previous family member who, who hurt you, they let you down. Family is messy. It can be messy. And often in the family of God, although we're unified, and in a sense we have a family resemblance because we're living in the same faith, we have the same father, we have the same spirit, we can also be quite different from each other. And so often we're different in terms of our age, in terms of our stage of life, in terms of our physical appearance, 
in terms of our upbringing or our culture or our race, in terms of um, like how we wired and how we like to do things. So even how I pray or how I worship might be different from how you feel comfortable praying and worshiping. We are different from each other, and that difference can sometimes make it quite hard because we unintentionally offend each other or we, we say the wrong thing or we hurt each other because we just don't understand that difference. And family can be messy. Family can be hard. But God didn't want us to be all the same. He created that beautiful diversity and then he said, oh, come be a family together. I mean, in a sense, it's crazy, but it's actually part of God's design. Be different, but then come and be united. It's part of God's design. He says, I'm going to put you in this family and I'm going to make you have these relationships and you're going to do stuff together and sometimes it's going to work out well and then other times you're going to hurt each other and you're going to offend each other and you're going to have to say sorry and then you're going to have to forgive someone else. And then it's going to go okay. And then that person's going to hurt you again. And you're going to have to say sorry. And you have to forgive them. And that's how I'm going to work on you. And that's how I'm going to develop your patience and your self-control. And that's how I'm going to deal with that selfishness and that self-reliance that runs so deep in you. I'm going to put you in a family. And that family is going to make you more like Jesus. And that family is going to help you grow and become spiritually mature. That's part of God's design. Let's move on to the last point. Hospitality is the heart of this home. And Ryan touched on this in week one, but I wanted to, to touch on it again because this is the point that has been personally challenging. You know, when you, when you do a sermon, you're always like, oh, God's going to teach me something. And it's always a bit scary because it's normally quite intense. <laughs> and so this is the thing he's brought me back to over and over again. So there are these two words in verse 13. It says, practice hospitality. So it seems quite clear. Oh, it's just two words. Practice hospitality. In a sense, it couldn't be clearer. But God's been challenging me on my understanding of this. So we think of practice. To practice to us, we define it as the actual application where we use an idea, a belief, or a method as opposed to just theories about it. And synonyms for practice are things like repeat and rehearse. And so that's the first thing I've been challenged about. Well, well is it just a concept Is it just an idea that I have? Oh, hospitality. Or is it actually something I'm doing? (laughs) And I'm actually practicing it. I'm repeating it. I'm rehearsing it. I'm exercising my hospitality muscles. And the original Greek is even stronger because that word that's translated practice is the word diakontes. And that actually means pursue. Pursue hospitality. And so Paul's not just saying, oh, you know, I'm inviting you to this hospitality that's nice and it's quite passive and actually just when it's convenient. No, he says, I want you to pursue it. I want you to chase hard after it with single-minded devotion. Pursue hospitality. And the other thing that's shifted for me is who the hospitality is towards. Because often I found I've been hospitable to people who are similar to me and people who I get along with. It's easy to open up my home or to share a meal or to do something that offers practical support to someone who is just like me. But biblical hospitality is actually directed towards strangers, people who I don't know yet, people who are beyond my, my friendship circle. And so um, Origen, who is this church father from 17 centuries ago, 
how, I mean, how relevant is this? 17 centuries ago, he wrote this. We are not just to receive the stranger when he comes to us, but actually to inquire after and look carefully for strangers, to pursue them and search them out everywhere, lest perchance somewhere they may sit in the streets or lie without a roof over their heads. I was challenged by that. So he's calling us not to be kind of self-contained, where my, car, my home is my castle, and I'm okay, I'm protecting myself. But he says, no, I want you to reach out. And there's a relational proximity here, and there's an active inclusion of others here. And that's challenging. And so my application question here is, how are you going to pursue hospitality? Pursue it. Run hard after it. And what does relational proximity, what does active inclusion of people look like? And I'd love to encourage you to come along next week, dial in next week if you're online, because Rigby is going to be sharing about something of what it means for this household to be outward focused, because we're blessed to be a blessing. And so what does that mean? That this household is not just for us, but it's often for the people who aren't even in the household yet. So come along next week to hear more about that. So we've covered these five points. We're children first. Every family member has a part to play. Family is beautiful, family is messy, and hospitality is the heart of this home. And as we close, I just want to sh- close with one of the, these pictures that we, we had. Um, in one of our early leadership meetings, a picture was shared about a large house with many rooms. And that I really resonated with that picture, and then it became very real for me in a prayer time that we were having. And I want you to kind of picture it with me, this large house with many rooms, Maybe there's the lounge, which is full of people, young, old, singles, married, and there's some lively debate and discussion going on in the lounge. And then there's that room for the teenagers where they can hang out. They don't have to be too close to mom and dad, but they feel relaxed there and they can chill out and they can feel comfortable there. And then there's a dining room with this massive table and everyone's sitting around sharing a meal together. There's laughter, there's banter, they're kind of sharing about the day, the highs, the lows, what happened. Into the kitchen, there's a bit of more hands-on space because there's chores to be done. And there's the load that needs to be shared for this house to run smoothly. And then maybe there's some rooms that have been set aside for those who need some, some special attention. Maybe they're sick, maybe they're hurting and they just need a little bit of quiet. They need some focused attention. And so maybe that's happening in one of the rooms. And then the kids are running in and out. And it's not just shh, go outside. No, no, they're welcomed and they're seen and they're included. This beautiful kind of messy family. Um, but it's this huge house. There's, there's breadth, there's depth to this house. And so if that's the house, today we've looked at what it looks like inside the house. Almost if you lift the roof and you look down, how we relate to one another in the house, that there's this love and honor and devotion, there's this affection, we're brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers, and it's beautiful, and sometimes it's a bit chaotic, and sometimes it's a little bit messy and uncomfortable, but there's always space, there's always room for more, every person playing their part. We are home, we are family, this is what it looks like. I'm going to ask the band to come up, won't you stand? We're going to sing a last song together, but let's just take a moment. Maybe you want to close your eyes if you that way inclined, and let's, let's just pause. Because I've said a lot, but 
I'm sure that God wants to cement some things for you. And so, Lord, we open up our hearts. And out of everything we've heard, what is it that you're wanting to say to me personally? Thank you for this family, Lord. Thank you for this home. As I look around this room, I'm so aware of the depth of the relationships here and the number of people who are brothering and sistering well. But we invite you to extend our understanding of family, to extend our relational reach. We want to experience the family of God in the fullness of which you designed it. And we pray that you would use this family and this home to shape each one of us and to make us more like Christ. That's why you've put us here. You want to grow us. You want to develop us. You want to mature us. And so we open ourselves to you and we invite you to do that through your spirit and through the people that you've put around us. Thank you, Father. Amen.